remain standing, get your Bibles out, please. Hopefully you have a King James Bible. And I, I know that's a, if, if, it, if it doesn't mean that much, why is it such a big topic to so many people? I want you to turn to 2 Kings, way back in the Old Testament. 2 Kings, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Samuel, 2 Kings, Samuel. There's a lot of firsts and seconds in there, okay? There's only one Christ. But there's a second return. 2 Kings chapter number 7. 2 Kings chapter number 7. I'll read out loud if you'll follow along with me silently as is our custom here. I'd appreciate that. 2 Kings chapter number 7. We'll begin in verse number 3. Have you located that? 2 Kings chapter number 7 and starting in verse number 3. And there were four leprous men at the entering in of the gate, and they said one to another, Why set we here till we die? If we say we will enter in the city, then the famine is in the city. We shall die there. If we set still here, we die also. Now therefore, come, let us fall into the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. If they kill us, we shall but die. They arose and they went in the twilight to go into the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come unto the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man, no man there. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and noise of horses and noise of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt and the kings of Egypt. Uh, to come upon us. Wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight, left their tents and their horses and their asses, even the camp as it was, and fled for their life. And when these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent and did eat and drink and carried away silver and gold and raiment and went and hid it and came again and entered into another tent and carried thence also and went and hid it. Verse number nine. Then said they one to another, We do not well. This day is a day of good tidings, and we hold our peace. If we tarry till morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore come, that we may go and tell the king's household. Our text verse will be that verse, verse number 9. Let's read that once again, would you please? Then they said one to another, We do not well. This is a day of good tidings. And we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now, therefore, let us, uh, sorry, therefore, I'm sorry. Now, therefore, come that we may go and tell the king's household. Father, thank you for the Bible. Thank you for its instruction. I know to so many people, they say it's confusing. I don't understand. Most things in life, when we are at it long enough, because we want to learn, we do learn. That's what's so confusing about the Bible. We don't want to spend much time, and yet we want to learn it. We want to know all about it, and yet we will not search to know all about it. Help me this morning to help your people. Help us to understand, perhaps, one out of many, many things you might be trying to teach us here. Let me help your people. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for Jesus Christ and dying for us, for without him we can do nothing. But through Christ and his word, if we obey him, we can do all things through Christ 
And God, I thank you for that. Help us please this morning. If there's anybody in here this morning that does not know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, I pray that this morning that light will come inside of them this morning, that they would yield themselves to Christ, that they would understand they are but sinners and need to be saved by grace. They cannot be saved by their works. That's impossible. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. That's what you said. That's what you taught in Ephesians chapter 2. So, Father, help us, please, this morning, those that may be backslid, those that are continuing to live in willful sin, may they come to an altar this morning, and may they ask for forgiveness and get things right with you and now start living for you. Lord, watch over us, please, this morning. For Christ's sake, we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. such comfort to the saints salvation for the lost it was a refuge for the soul who from the tempest was tossed whatever happened to the See the blood streaming down, washing sins all away, turning darkness into day, and exchanging that old cross for a crown. to the old rugged cross. It brought such comfort to the saints, salvation for the lost. It was a refuge for the soul who from the tempest was tossed. 
Whatever happened to the old rugged cross, it was a refuge for the soul who from the tempest was tossed. Whatever happened to the old rugged cross? Hey, be seated, be seated. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, very much deserved. Thank you so much. I'm kidding. I had a guy years ago walk in and said, man, I really like your church. But I have a question. I said, okay. Why do they clap for you? And I said, uh, that's a good question. I said, when you go to a ball game, do you ever clap? When you go to some outing somewhere and something good happens, do you ever clap? You ever get loud? You know, it always amazes me. I watch teenagers when I start to yell, they go. And yet you hear them drive down the road. And it's like they can't hear it. So don't tell me I'm too loud. I don't want to hear that. The thing is, you want to go to sleep. I'm not going to let you. So I'm, I'm glad you're here this morning. I enjoy being in church. Second Kings chapter number 7. Look at verse number 9, please. We do not well. I put a little word in there, if we hold our peace. We do not well if we hold our peace. Samaria is the capital of the northern part of Israel now. The country has been divided. And now they're being surrounded by the Syrians. The Syrians were their mortal enemies. And they could not overcome the walls and everything. Listen up, listen up. They could not overcome the walls and everything that had them protected. So what they used to do a lot of times in the old days, they would actually build an entire city around the city, if you would. I mean, they'd bring tents and camels and, and sheep and like they're going to stay there forever. Some places they would actually go around a city and been there for three plus years. They would just stay there. What they were trying to do is stopping any water or food or supplies from coming into the city. If you go outside, they were going to be slaughtered, so they did not want to do that. Because of this, it created a famine inside the city. People couldn't go out. Nothing could come in. So it produced a famine inside the city uh, there in Samaria. During this time, people turned to eating disgusting, filthy, unbelievable things because they were starving to death. I want you to look at verse number, uh, chapter 6, verse 24. Chapter 6, not 7, chapter 6, verse 24. And it came to pass after this that Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, those are the people that surrounded them, gathered all his hosts and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria, and behold, they besieged it until an ass's head. Now understand, there's not a lot of meat on that. It's mostly skull. You understand that, right? sold for four pieces of silver, very expensive, very expensive, and the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung, that, that's about, about equal to like two quarts, if you would, a dry measure, and, and watch what it says, dove's dung was sold 
for five pieces of silver. As the king of Israel passing upon the wall, there cried a woman unto him, saying, Help my lord, O king. And he said, If if the Lord do not help thee, whence shall I help thee? That's the way I feel sometimes. Look, buddy, if the Lord's not going to help, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. But he said this, Whence shall I help thee? Out of the barn floor or out of the wine press? He said, What do you need, something to drink or something to eat? How can I help you? Verse 28, And the king said unto her, What aileth thee? And she answered, The woman said unto him, I'm sorry, the woman said unto me, so there's another woman inside here, and they're talking back and forth. She's relaying this story. Here's the story. Give me thy son that we may, yeah, you read it right, eat him. These people were actually so hungry they turned to cannibalism. He said, thy son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. Now, here's two women with children. We're starving to death. My kids are going to die anyway. We're probably going to die. So I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll make a pact with each other. We'll boil and eat your son today. And then tomorrow we'll boil and eat my son. It's in the Bible. Watch what it says, verse 29. So we boiled my son and did eat him. And I said unto her on the next day, Give thy son that we may eat him. And uh, and she hath hid her son. And it came to pass when the king heard the words of the woman, he rent his, he couldn't believe this. He rent his clothes and passed upon the wall and the people looked and behold, he had sackcloth within upon his flesh. I mean, that's a symbol of sorrow and burden and, and broken heartedness. So he was saying, I don't believe this. My people have turned to this. Is this what's going on? They're not only selling two quarts of dove's dung. Do I need to tell you what that is? Okay. Uh, and they're paying large amount of money for that, big money for that. A ass's head, a donkey's head, that's just basically skin and bone with a little meat maybe here for this tremendous amount they're paying for, and people are paying for it. They are paying out the nose just to survive one more day. Just outside the city, we start in our next chapter, we see four leprous men. They're outside the city. So understand, they're being besieged. Everybody inside the city is dying. They're starving. They're eating anything and everything they can get their hands on, most disgusting things you can think about. There are four leprous men sitting right out the main gates of the city. And the Bible says, look at chapter number 7, verse number 3. There were four leprous men at the entering of the gate, and they said one to another, Why sat we here till we die? Great point. I, I think that's genius right there. Look at verse number four. If we say, now they're, they're discussing this. They haven't decided what they're going to do yet. If we say we'll enter into the city, then there's a famine in the city, we shall die. That's good reasoning. If we sit here, we'll also die. Right again. Verse number, uh, uh, the, the next part of that. Now therefore, come, let us fall into the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we'll live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. So what they say? Okay, fellas, look look at the situation. By the way, I think they're in the worst situation of anybody. They're not in the city. They can't even get cat, uh, a dove's uh, dung. Uh, they can't buy an ass's head to eat. Uh, they, can't, they have nothing. They're sitting outside the city. On top of all of this, they have leper. They, they're a leper. They're going to die anyway. There was no cure back in these days for any of that kind of stuff. So they're sitting out there. They're starving to death. They have leprosy. They can't, if they go, even if they let them in the city, they're not going to open the gates. But even if they did, they're starving in there. We're going to die. 
Now look, fellas, if we just sit here, guess what's going to happen to us? We're going to die. So they reasoned and said, got an idea. If we go to the camp of the Syrians, if we go that direction, maybe because we're lepers and no threat to them, maybe they'll let us live. If they kill us, we're just going to die. So this was the reasoning that they had. Go down to verse number 5. Then they arose in the twilight and go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uh, uttermost part of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no man. What? you got this entire city surrounded by Syrians. These four guys creep over top of a hill or across the desert, wherever they had to go, and they're sneaking up on this place wondering what's going to happen to them. And they start looking. There's nobody there. All the tents are there. Everything. Watch what it says. Verse number four. For the... Uh, uh, Behold, there was no man. Verse number six, because, here's the reason why, the Lord hath made the noise. They weren't there. They had made a noise of the host of the Syrians to hear of chariots and of horses and of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel, these are the people that are inside the city, hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore, they arose in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their asses and even the camp as it was and fled for their lives. Now, here are four lepers and they're looking at this vast array of tents everywhere and thinking, I don't believe this. There's nobody here. We got the place to ourselves. And so they start going from place to place. Honestly, if it were you, just imagine, imagine. You're going, you look into a tent, there's nobody here. And there's food still there. And weapons, and gold, and clothing. And so they look around, they start gathering stuff up, and they run out somewhere, dig a hole and bury it, and run back to the next tent. And guess what? Nobody's there. And they're grabbing more raiment, and they see more gold and more jewels and things they want, and they take it back out. And, and they're laughing and rejoicing and having the time of their life. I can't believe it. Four of us have all this stuff. It's all ours. Look what God did for us. We got it all. They begin to remember, though, sitting outside that gate. They remembered. In the middle of all that rejoicing and everything God gave them, they remembered the cries of kids inside. They remembered inside that city there were moms and dads being tempted and some of them giving way eating their own children. They remember people lying, corroded, rottening in the streets because there's nothing they could do for them, nothing. While they were there feasting on everything that possibly you could want, eating everything that they could desire, going from tent to tent, grabbing anything they wanted, while all this was going on, something happened in their brain and they said, wait a minute, hold on, fellas, fellas. I don't think we're doing right. So what did they say here? They begin to remember the children's cries. They remembered. They had no real food in there. Some of them might be eating, but you call that food? They begin to think how dads and moms tried desperately, and they did, to, like you would do, to supply for your children. There were no supplies for your children. It was all bad. And here they were looking at tents as far as you could see, and every one of them was empty, and you could help yourself to anything you wanted. And God supplied all of that for them. Are you getting the picture? No one had food inside there. No one had water. No one had an answer for their situation. Not the king. We read that. He said, oh, you want some, some wine? They didn't have water. You want some, uh, you, you want some grain? You want something? No. She ate her baby, and I, 
Oh, they broke his heart. He got on the left hand says, come to this. Is this where we're at right now? They had all of this, but these four men, they had all this water and food and supply and surplus, and they had more stuff than they could ever use. Look down at verse number 9 of that same chapter. And they said one to another, we do not well this day. Uh, this day is a day of good tidings, and we hold our peace. And if we died tonight, what's going to happen to all those people inside that city? Are you listening to me? I think it's a little warm. Are we okay? Okay. Yeah, I guess we're good. Maybe it's just me. Um, no one had any food. They talked among themselves, and here's what they came up with. If we die tonight, those people don't know, watch very carefully, just outside their walls is all the food and water and supplies and blessing they could possibly need. They just don't know it. So they said, we do not do well. We do not well this day for the good tidings if we hold our peace. This would be inhuman. Think about it. Think about how inconceivable this would be to have more than you could have the rest of your life and you're still hiding stuff away when in a city there are thousands of people, thousands of people dying and starving for what God gave you an abundance of. And they started thinking to themselves, said, this isn't right, we can't do this. Can you imagine how unfeeling you would say a person was? Can you imagine uh, 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 how un unbelievable, how uncaring and how selfish for a person to have all of that and God gave it to them, just gave it to them. And you know a whole city starving to death. And you go and hide it out. It's yours. You go and hide it out. One day, God looked down, I think, on Columbus and saw it was besieged by the enemy. People had a great lack and doom and there was no hope. They were dying. They were starving to death for something that would give life and purpose and meaning and direction. What Columbus needed was a taste of the land, is what he needed. The Bible teaches me, this is why God uses these kinds of words. In Psalms 34, verse number 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. That don't mean take a bite out of it. And the Catholics are absolutely wrong and blasphemous when they say you're eating flesh and drinking the blood of Christ. There's a lot of Bible against that. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. John chapter 6, verse 48, I am the bread of life. God said, I, I'm, I'm everything you need. I, I, it's all wrapped up in me. I have everything you need. When they needed, uh, what they really needed was drink from an everlasting fountain. And that's what the Bible says in John chapter 4 and verse number 4. What, whosoever shall drink of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst again. Shall never thirst again. So God miraculously took some of us from that city took us outside, gave us everything that he has and says, look, it's mine. Now it's yours. And here we are, if we're not careful, we are actually hoarding and holding and burying stuff that God freely gave us while there is a whole city starving to death, have no idea just outside those walls of unbelief is everything they could possibly want. He led us to the right decision, didn't he? Aren't you glad about that? We rejoiced. 
I still remember, I talked to some of you younger Christians right now, it brings back such joyful memories when I first got saved. I'm thinking to myself, that's the way I felt. That's the way I looked at it. That's what I did. Yeah, that's the way I looked. That's what I didn't know. And I went through all these different things, and I thought, man, oh, man, that's great. I remember that day. Now, you have to understand, that was over 51 years ago for me. Some of you can't remember last week if you got saved or not, but I still remember. It was a great day. Man, it was a great day. I was learning stuff so fast. I mean, I was just going from tent to tent and grabbing stuff, and this is mine, and look what God gave me. I was having the time of my life. Amen. Not like Christians today, I don't think. Amen. One of the greatest things that I think God gave me, I went in that first tent, and you won't believe what I found in the very first tent. Peace. Peace that passeth all. I could not understand. I remember still, I told you this story. You say, preach, you tell that all the time. You ought to try telling your salvation story. Might help you a little bit. I remember walking home, going home that night and lying in bed. I was living in my mom's house at the time, and honestly, the lights were off and everything, and I sat back up in the bed and looked around the room. for the first time in my life. It was so overwhelming, it was almost scary. I mean, you have to understand, the way I was to what God did for me, I was wrapped up in a city, doomed. I mean, locked in. I mean, I ain't getting out. If I do, I'm going to die. And right outside those walls was everything a person could possibly want. But it was all found in Christ. And God took some of us and brought us out of that city so that we would tell people inside that city, right outside of there, are tents full of stuff that you can have. And one of those things is peace. The world wants peace. Peace in the Middle East. Never going to happen. Never. Gonna, I don't care who the president is. Not going to happen. Why? God said. He's the prince of peace. Just like in America. The more we keep talking about everybody getting together, the more problems we seem to have. Why? Because without Christ, you can't have that kind of stuff. So here's what we find out. Peace. As we ran from tent to tent, you won't believe what I found next. I was telling somebody the other day, I've told you before, I love talking about my story. I I remember uh, going from listening to music, I mean, just hellish music. I mean, terrible stuff. Kind of like some of you Christians listen to today. And uh, I I, I went for that, and somebody handed me a big 33 and a third CD. You know what I'm talking about? And they put them on wax, you know what I'm talking about? Okay. And uh, four men singing with a piano, and I think they had a bass guitar, and that's about it. And I thought to myself, that's really good. I like that. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. The other stuff was talking to this. I like that. What I just got was talking to the new man inside, and he liked that. And I liked that too. That was the difference. Uh, we had people come here before and go, I really like the preaching, like your people, but the music didn't do anything for me. <laughs> By the way, it's good to have Shannon and Deidre here and uh, praying for her all the time. Of course, she just had a kidney transplant uh, back about uh, three weeks ago. I can't believe something that great took that long to figure it out. I have no idea how many days ago that was. Back a few days ago, and uh, and here they are. You know why? They love coming to church. You know something else this all gave me? I was talking to, I think it was Michael the other day, and he was talking about the name of our church, and I said it comes from Hebrews 619. Oh, it came right out of the Bible. Oh, yeah. I'd like for some of these churches to tell me where in the Bible they got their name. Leave your mark, church. That's for, motor- that's for motorcycle people, by the way. 
Hebrews 6.19, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, sure and steadfast. Anchor is in the Bible. And so this is what we have, the hope, which hope we have, which hope we have. It's not like, well, I hope it's true. No, no, that is my hope. That anchor, Jesus Christ, is my hope. I'm not hoping it's true. I know it's true, and all of my hope is on him. And so these are the things. we got people in this city, in this city, starving to death, running around, bumping into walls, searching for what they can, eating whatever the devil throws at them, and saying, well, this is the best we can do. It is not the best they can do. The best they can do is what God already gave us. If we'll simply tell them, right outside those walls, there's Jesus Christ, and you can have him too. 1 John chapter number 5, verse number 11. When I first got saved, nobody taught me this, security. You know everybody likes feeling safe. Everybody. Fellas, especially ladies, they just do. And you make them nervous when you change all the time. When one day you have a beard and one day you don't. It just makes them nervous. It makes them very nervous. We have a new guy, by the way, in church over here. It just makes them nervous. Security is a great thing. I'm glad that the Bible teaches eternal security. I don't have to worry about this part anymore. The Bible said in 1 John, 1 John, not John, 1 John, way up by Revelation, chapter 5, verse number 11. This is the record. Look here. This is the record that God hath given to us his son, hath given to us his son, uh, hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his son. So if I have his son, guess what I have? Eternal. Somebody help me. I'm not real good at dictionary definition. How long is eternal? Huh? What if? Then it's not eternal. It's probation. It's temporary. Hello, talk to me. For, for those of you who think I got saved and lost it, saved and lost it, saved and lost it, how many times do you think Jesus is going to die for you? The Bible says in Hebrews, he died once and for all for all sin. So you either saved forever or you're not saved at all. So what happens here is as I went from tent to tent, as we did that, those of us that are saved, we found more treasures, things like contentment. Godliness with contentment is great gain. I never met so many people that had so little that are okay. I hate to tell you this. I know millionaires. They're not very happy. I didn't say all of them. I said I know some. And I know some poor people that are the most, that two of them sitting right back there. And I can't believe what Deidre and Shannon has gone through. And you say, well, who's helping them? They had to search for people to help them. They had to search to find this out and pay for that and do all this kind of stuff. Oh, by the way, they're the ones shouting in the back of the row. It seems like the more we get, the more we kind of settle in and say, well, this, is, this has always been kind of mine. They just go like, no, praise Jesus. She does it all the time. Well, praise Jesus all the time. Don't get excited. She's not going to talk in tongues or anything. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. Y'all try it. Praise. Fellas, don't do it this way. Praise Jesus. All these things, love, understanding. I never knew what love was until I met I'm not talking about lust. I'm not talking about physical anything. I'm not talking about emotion, though emotion flooded my soul. I'm talking about someone saying, I know of everything you've ever done, and I love you. I don't love what you've done. I died for that, but I love you, and I prove that. Do you understand how much God loves you? So these things come flying. Every, every tent seemingly, you know what I'm talking about, it seemed like there was just fellowship with God, promise of heaven, eternal security. On every tent I went to, there's more stuff. There's more stuff here. And I just, I just wanted, I wanted to keep it all. I want to make it all mine. And God said, it is all yours. Have as much of it as you can handle. Take it all. But it shouldn't have stopped there. 
can you not even now hear little children starving? And no, I don't mean America's kids are starving. They're too fat now. All they have to survive on are the leftovers and the waste that the world doesn't care about anymore. As they choke down to survive, split homes, abuse, gangs, booze, lies, deception, empty philosophies of this is the answer. It's never the answer. Can you not even hear? Dads and moms devouring their own family because they don't know what else to do. What do I do? Where do I turn to get? They have no hope anymore. The government's taken all their authority away from them. Everything has to be handed to them and they don't know what else to do because they're not allowed to. Everything's been restricted. They have no answer. Where are they supposed to turn to? Everything inside of there. We used to be there. We, we used to be. Look at me. We used to live like that. I don't care if you lived in Upper Arlington and you lived down the bottom. They're both in the same class. They just live on different hills. They're all inside that city and have a great need. Do we silently stand and watch as our young people hop from bars to bars, party to party, so-called, I don't know why they call it that, nightclubs, entertainment activities of various kinds, trying to satisfy, trying to satisfy their hunger, their doom, perhaps very busy, got a lot going on, but empty. Did you hear that? My Christian friend, we dare not think that we're somebody special now because we're saved. I, for one, am nothing more than a sinner saved. I'm a child of God, but a sinner. Just like those people there. I did what many of them are still doing. And I rejoice that I no longer do that. I rejoice that God took me from that and look what all he's done and given to me and how he loves me and protects me and watches. Look at all the, man, I went to this tent and I thought, hey, check it out, check it out. One, two, three, four lepers right here, all these guys. And we're running from tent. Hey, preacher, come here. What do you got over here? Look at that. Wow, 52-inch screen TV. I want one. Go bury it. Hurry before we get rid of it. So I got all this stuff. I have more friends than I've ever had. I have more peace than I've ever had. I have more battles than I've ever had. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. But I have more victories than I've ever had. Uh, I have a great place to go to, have a great wife, got great friends. Man, this, I mean, seriously, and that's not all, that's one tent. Now I can go over here and there's contentment and peace and love and joy and singing and write music and things that thrill my, all that thrills my soul is Jesus. He is more than life to me. He is the fairest of 10,000. In his blessed life I see. All that thrills my soul is Jesus. Amen. By the way, the sick people are praising God back there. You healthy people, just sit still. Bury what God has given you. Just make it yours as nobody. I don't want to talk about it. It's something private. You are sadly mistaken. We have all this. Are we going to hide it? Are we going to bury it? Well, it's something God gave me. Why would God give you that? These lepers were so overcome with their treasures and supplies. 
I mean, honestly, they didn't ever want to do without it again. They never had anything like this before. I never have. I'm saved only one time, you know. I can just see him sitting there just crying. <laughs> he said, look what we've got. This is great. Can you believe it? I mean, we come over the hill and there's nobody here. Hey, we could go a mile that direction and there's more tents and it's, there's nobody there. I know what we'll do. You guys go that way and, and we'll go this way and we'll bring all of our stuff back here in the middle and we'll talk about how God blesses and look what we have. Man, we'll be able to. By the way, they were still lepers. Child of God, do you realize in you is the ability and the power to help doomed, lost, suffering out of there and have what you have. Somebody put it this way one time. It's like one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. Well, I don't know how to do this. Okay, okay stop, 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 stop. You may be ignorant in a lot of things, but this is pretty simple. How does one person who found food find it so difficult to tell another person that, that's, that's starving where he found food? And don't tell me you can't talk to people. I heard you at Wendy's. Oh, yeah, I heard you. I said a large frosty, and it's supposed to be vanilla, not chocolate. How dare you do it? We need to go soul winning. Preacher, I just can't talk to people. Was it not too many days ago we were in the same predicament? Do you even remember? Look, it was over 51 years ago for me. It seemed like yesterday. I keep it fresh. I don't want, I don't like stale bread. You open the package, if there's green stuff growing on there, that's, that's not good. Now, they tell me with cheese, you can just cut it off and go ahead and eat the rest of it. I'm not sure how many Americans would still do that. I have. Oh, yeah, I guess it makes a difference. Thai, that's enough. It's, it's like penicillin, I guess, except I don't need a needle. I can just eat the whole thing. So there we go. Weren't we there at one time? Were we not just consuming whatever the world tossed us? Look at me and listen to me, all you spoiled second generation people. Like you're owed everything. You don't even know what you've already been given. What do you mean you're owed different stuff? It wasn't long we were there. It wasn't long we were drinking of the stagnant liquid that the devil spit out for everybody. Here, this is it's the best you can get. And we drank it up. Man, this is good. Oh, yeah, I really enjoyed myself. And paying a very high price. Oh, boy, just like these people. Are you kidding? Two quarts of dove's dung and you paid, what, four pieces of silver? No, that was five. The donkey's head was four pieces of silver. Are you kidding me? You paid. That's all we've got. That's all they have. Do you understand me? They're looking at that like that's my entire life. But that's all they have. That is not true with you and I. That's not true. God gave you everything. How many tents you want to go into? How many things do you need from God? It's all right there. It wasn't too long ago we were like that. Why? Why were we acting that way? I don't care where you live. It makes no difference to me. Because we were in a city locked up. The devil had us surrounded in there. We just did what we could do to survive and make ends meet. You know how people talk about that. Four lepers remembered. You see, I still remember my condition. I know you're so happy you're saved. I don't blame you. But do you still remember? Do you still remember? Do you know we get so picky as Christians? 
but if that's the way they're going to act, I'm not coming here. You know something? What would happen if you weren't even saved? See, I still remember that glorious night when nobody said anything. He's pointed at the altar. You need to stop this. I need an explanation for everything. No, your problem is you just need to obey the Lord, and he'll explain to you as you obey him. See, we bought it even with kids. Mommy's going to give you 43 choices now. And then you look around for approval from everybody. Aren't I smart, Mommy? Aren't I just wise? I'm giving my two-year-old 43 different choices. That's so foolish. I was going to say, I was going to say stupid, but that's a harsh word. I still remember that very night when my heart broke, when that light shined in my dark soul, and I thought, I don't understand. I, I can't believe this. What is going on inside of me? And I looked at my brother, and I, I didn't even know what to ask him. And the big old fat evangelist out there in the, in the forest, what happened to you, boy? First thing caught me, my pride. First of all, nobody calls me a boy. And I just stared at him. He said, did you get saved? I didn't know what that word meant. Never heard that word before. Did you, did you receive Christ as Savior? I, I've never heard the word say. I don't know what that means. Did you ask Jesus to forgive your sin? Now I did. I know that one. I got that one down. That part I knew. I said, yes, sir. He grabbed my hand, pulled me over to him, wrote my name down, and he said, I'll be praying for you. And he did. He even wrote me a card. My wife found it the other day. Couldn't believe it. After all these years, she found it the other day. I went home that night. Even before I got home, I had to witness to a girl. When I got home, I witnessed to my mom. I said, Mom, guess what happened to me? What's that, honey? I said, I got saved. You have to understand, here's what's thrown you. Preacher, why aren't they happy I got saved? Well, it's kind of like describing a sunset to a blind man. I don't care how good you are at describing it, they're not going to see it. Till their eyes are opened, which Jesus Christ does that. But I remember, I remember the next morning, I, I remember that Monday morning. My, my brother said, now there's a program on the, on the radio you need to listen to, Oliver B. Green. Oliver B. Green was the one who first started teaching me the Bible. And then I'd go from there and I'd hop the fence. My brother lived behind me and we'd go over there and study the Bible for an hour. And then he got me a job and we'd both go to the job together. Man, you talk about living high on the hog. I was having the time of my life. By the way, I was still on probation. But I thought, you know something, I don't need to report to those guys anymore. I'm never going to do anything wrong again. <laughs> I'm not sure they look at things like that, but that's what I thought. And they never come after me, but whatever. So I was enjoying myself to no end. Everywhere I turned around, I'd get up every morning, roll out of bed onto my knees and ask the Lord to watch over me. Why? Because that's what thou was told to do. Won't you quit fussing with stuff and just say okie dokie? Then I'd put on my shorts, grab my cigarettes and my Bible, and I'd go outside and read. I know you were perfect the very day you got saved. I got that part. I, I wasn't. I still had to work on some things. He's still working on to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and stars, the earth and the moon and that member of Congress. It's a good song. Take my word for it. Okay. Dale Dunlap, up at 1452 Hamlin Street in Northfield. It was a cold winter one day and on a Saturday morning, I remember, I see somebody brown twin single. It wasn't really all brown. It was kind of here on the brown background. Over all the windows were sheets and blankets. It was twin single. You know what I'm talking about when I say twin single? We used to live in one of those things. Teenagers would go out on Harris Avenue 
and uh, it's cold, cold outside. And I knocked on the door, come in. I said, from the church, come in. I walk inside and this stench torments me day and night. Scraps of food on the floor, dirty clothes just piled up there. Her name was Dale. Dale uh, sat there on her couch. I knelt down on the floor and took my Bible and set it on top of a large ashtray. she said this is just the way life is it's amazing how many people think that's all there is uh, this is just all there is I'm doing the best I can this is what we have to do to survive that's not true my dear friend that is absolutely not true the whole thing there she knew nothing about Jesus she lived here in this city and knew nothing about Jesus Christ by the way that's becoming more the normal than the abnormal she thought the whole world was just the same. It's just the way that it is. I remember a guy by the name of Stan Houston. Stan Houston was about 68 years old, I think. Way back when we just had this building here. And uh, used to, he used to live over off of West Broad Street, over past where the donut shop used to be over there. And uh, I was doing some soul winning in the apartments over here, and I'm knocking on the door, and a young man uh, in his 20s, early 30s said, Look, I, I really don't have enough time to be short with you. My dad's in the hospital and I, I really need to pray for him. I said, can I go see him? Excuse me? I said, would it be okay if I go see him? You'd go see him? If you'd let me, I'd go see him. I'd like to. So he takes off, him and his living girlfriend, they take off and they go down there. I went up to the hospital and uh, he, was, he was just, the door was almost shut on his life. And he was almost in a coma and they weren't sure if they could really hear anything. And I asked him, I said, His girlfriend was livid. She went out in the hallway and pacing back and forth, and, and everybody was gone. I knelt down beside Dale, Dale Stan's bed, and uh, you could probably hear me all the way down to the desk because I, I get a little loud. You didn't notice, but I did. And I said, Stan, listen to me. He wasn't responding to anything. I said, Stan, listen to me. Jesus died for and I'm yelling. I'm this close to his ear, and I'm yelling at him. He's just lying there like this. I don't know if he's hearing me or not. Some people say people in a coma can still hear you. So go ahead and talk. Other people say, I'm not sure, regardless of that. So I told myself, okay, how am I going to know if this guy's listening at, at all? Am I talking to a vegetable here? I don't know. So I said, Stan, look, I put my hand in his hand like this. Put his hand around him. I said, Stan, listen to me. If you understand me, try to squeeze my finger. I started telling him about Jesus Christ. Please listen. I started telling about Jesus Christ. Tears ran down the side of him and filled up his ears full of water. He just laid there. And I said, do you realize you're a sinner? He squeezed my finger. I'm yelling at the guy. Stan, please. You're going to die. That's no time to fool. Who knows? You may say, no, Stan, you're dying. And I told him that. And he's crying. And I said, Jesus wants to save you. Stan, you don't want to die without Jesus Christ. Do you understand? He squeezed my finger. I said, Stan, you listen to me. I'm going to have prayer for you. I cannot pray in your place, but I'll pray with you. If you mean this, in your mind, you pray along with me, Stan. Do you understand? I can't do this for you. I can lead you to Christ. I can't make you receive Christ. He squeezed my finger. Dear Jesus, 
He didn't say anything. I realize I'm a sinner. I'm praying in a room by myself with this man lying on a bed, dying. I know that I'm a sinner, and I know you died for me. Please, as much as I know how, I don't have a lot of time. Come into my heart and save me now. Please, in Jesus' name. Amen. I said, Stan, did you ask Jesus Christ to forgive you because you're a sinner? He squeezed my hand and tears began to run down the side of his face. And he said to me, about two weeks later, I got a call from his son. And his son said, Dad, Pastor Brad forgave me. I said, I'm sorry to hear that. Did he happen to say anything before he passed away? He said, you know, preacher, he never moved again and he never spoke to anybody again except the last day before he died. Now, I'm going to make a suggestion you don't believe him. That's, that's cutting it way too close, my dear friend. But Stan on that day got saved. It's hard for people to believe when you try to explain to them how you found Jesus, how he saved. It's just hard for them to believe that stuff. Look, they've been lied to and deceived, and they've been used and cheated and tricked and promised and, and, and left empty every time. Now, all of a sudden, you come along with two, and you think they ought to just turn upside down and accept. It doesn't always work that way. It didn't for me. First time I went there for a girl, and I walked out telling my brother, it's going to be okay. It's not that big a deal. I had no idea what I was talking about. But I was so used to scamming people and hurting people and walking over people. What is this all about? You have to understand what they're looking at. They've gone through all of this. The world and our city is starving to death. And we do not well if we hold on to this. You have what they need, whether they realize it or not. from here, I get my GPS right from here and say, how do I get to my office? Oh, no, this way. Okay, I got it there. I watch the little arrow. It turns. I go, oh, oh, don't go, go back here. I said, you missed your turn. It tells me, so I go that way. One of them is this stand right here, my Christian name. It's hard for people just believe you because you said something. So we so quickly give up on it because of that. I remember these, these about West Broad Street, uh, if you go down, if you're heading east on West Broad to Hague Avenue, you make a right on Hague, you're going south, and about five or six houses down from that, there's a, there's a double, uh, a single, a double flat, okay, it's not built up, it's just a flat. Decided, I'm going to I'm going to knock on every door, talk to everybody on Hague Avenue between Broad Street and Sovereign Avenue, and so through the winter time, I'd go from door to door to door to door as we're going all the way down one side, hardly nobody talked to me. Came up the other side, I knocked on the door, and uh, there's a, a lady inside there. I said, "Come in." I opened up the door, went inside, single mom, and she had three or four children. And uh, while I was there, I walked in again. The place was in a shambles. It really was. And I noticed one boy just kind of yelling and making noise, and nobody seemed to pay attention to him. Come find out he had Down syndrome. And uh, I walked in there. Now, I'm not real famous with children. I'm not real good with adults. Be honest with you, I don't like people. No, I'm kidding. Uh, and so I, I walked in there, and I see these children there. 
And the woman's husband, come to find out later, left because of that. It wasn't her husband's living boyfriend. You women, it's just, why would you live that? Why, why would you do that? Because the world told you that's what they did. So let me see, he's getting everything he wants. Now, you may not get anything out of her doing that. Besides, that's against the Bible. She found that out the hard way. Well, I was talking to her, this other young lady come down, and she's standing, she goes, this is my sister. And a guy walked down, and as soon as he saw me, he turned around and went right back upstairs. He won't talk to me again. I pleaded with her. I told her all the good things that God had done for me. Told her all the promises I could possibly think of. I mean, I pleaded with her. And she just sat there and just stared at me. She wasn't, she wasn't belligerent. She wasn't mean. She didn't use harsh language. She just walked. She just stared at me. While I was there down on one knee, which I can't do anymore, while I was there down on one knee, this boy, this Down syndrome kid, all he had on was a diaper. He was about the size of a teenager. Now, I said I, I don't do well with children. Honestly, I, I'm trying to learn this. I really am. Uh, so it's not like I don't like your kids. But I don't... I, he came over to me and stood right, the whole time we were talking, ah! and we, I tried to ignore him. She acted like she didn't even hear him. And then he came over to me and laid on me, smiling, real skinny, about the size of maybe a 10, 11-year-old kid. I don't know why. To this day, I don't know why. I wouldn't do it. some people don't care, but I do. Here she said, I do. Because you would have never picked him up if you didn't care. And you would have never stayed with him if you didn't care. Do you understand there are people out there in the world that think that's just the way it has to be? Here we are with all of this stuff that God has given us. I'm, t I'm talking about valuable things that are eternal and peace and contentment and, and a relationship with Christ and heaven's going to be my home. No matter what I go through here, I'm headed towards heaven. All of this stuff. And they don't. And what they're doing, running around five or six in one place with, with clothes everywhere and stink everywhere and, and children that are hurting and parents that don't know what to do. And they're going through all that. And we have the answer for them right outside that place. Christian. Children of God, receivers of salvation, you call yourself by Jesus Christ. People of Columbus are starving for what we have. Amen. We have it. Amen. If I were to say you're glad you're Christian, amen, preacher. So you have something worth amening about. What are they going to amen about? Why should they trust you? They want to see a little evidence. Don't they have a right to maybe see a little evidence? Don't they have a right when they come here to examine you to see if you really have the goods or not? Don't they? They've been misled and fed so much garbage. And we think they, because we have the truth, they ought to just accept it. That's why it's getting harder and harder to win people to Christ. It's not that it can't be done. It needs to be done. I mean, why should they trust you? Stop thinking that way. 
Why should they listen to you? Why should they trust you? Show them. Show them. That's why when you come to church, what, what are you doing sitting like this? You got people, we got new people here, and they're, they're, they're watching. They're watching. Why should they? Look, if, if they wanted to come place, watch people sleep, they could have stayed home. I don't, I don't get it. I, I simply don't get it. This is, this is the highlight of my life. I have no friends out there. I have no place to go out there. You say, oh, preacher, I feel bad. Don't feel bad for me. I've never had it so good. I don't have to fight anymore. I do not have to worry about who's after me anymore. I don't have to worry about not going to heaven anymore. I don't have to worry about drugs anymore. I don't have to worry about smoking anymore. I don't have to worry about wrong friends anymore. I don't. I got it made. Because one day I had a brother who said, you need to get out of there and I can help you. And he took what he had and gave it to his little brother. And that's why I'm saved today. Show them if you still remember the care that was shown to you. Do you still have any joy left in your salvation? Well, the world owes me. The world doesn't owe you anything. The world was using you and will destroy you. The Lord has more in heaven waiting than you'll ever know. Go back to 1 Kings chapter 7, verse number 19. 1 Kings chapter 7, verse number 19. And that the Lord answered the man of God and said, Now behold, if the Lord should make windows in heaven, might such a thing be? By the way, that kind of reminds me about over there in Malachi. He said, if you tithe and give offering, the Lord will open the windows of heaven for you. I mean, he's talking to this guy that said this will never happen God had to open the windows of heaven before, before we could ever leave this city and there would be stuff out there for us Elisha already told him I'm going to tell you exactly what's going to happen like I'm doing you this morning he told him exactly what's going to happen and he said that when on that day you're not going to enjoy it that's what the rest of the verse means because you're going to be killed on that day oh not by the enemy the king decided let's regulate all of this goods we have over here and, and so you're going to be in the gate and tell people, okay, you five, okay, now you six. Oh, no, stop right here. They ran right over top of him and killed him. And Elisha said, nope. Folks, listen to me carefully. I'm not the prophet or the son of a prophet, but this Bible doesn't lie. When you got saved, you've got so many riches, you don't even know what you have yet. I mean, it would take them their entire lifetime to run from tent to tent to see what all was actually there. They already buried more than they're probably ever going to use for. They died of leprosy. Please understand. The Lord, do you want the Lord to open the window? You'll get the greatest thrill of your life when you witness, when you, when you witness to somebody else. First thing it does is remind you of what happened to you. By the way, that's a great place. Well, preach, I don't know scriptures. Okay, tell them what happened to you. Well, I'm afraid. Are you sure something happened to you? I don't know what to say. Are you sure something happened to you? Look up here, girls. Hey, girls, girls, girls. Are you sure something happened to you? I, I don't get, look at me. I'm not, I'm not trying to sound ignorant. I'm just that way. Listen. You were dead, now you're alive. You're a child of the devil. The Bible says so. Now you're a child of the king. 
you were on your way to hell, now you're on your way to heaven. Everything you had, God forgave of and gave you a brand new life. And how dare we sit here like nothing that great really happened. Well, preacher, it's just not me to say anything. Don't tell me that. I'm going to follow you to Wendy. I'm going to follow you to the steakhouse and listen to you complain about you wanted a rare bloody piece of steak with hair still on it and it's still moving in the plate. And oh, no, no. Don't tell me you can't talk. Don't tell me you can't open your mouth. You forgot. You forgot what great things the Lord hath done for you. If we'll just take. Uh, you probably don't want to say it, do you? I went out soul winning one day, and I really didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't. I was so fed up that day, and it was just a bad day. And, and it was time to go soul winning. Okay, I guess. Oh, but nobody talks to me. Somebody stops me and says, hey, can I ask you a question? <laughs> yeah. I've been thinking about salvation. Do you, do you know what, what I need to do? And I thought to myself, come on, man, I want to go home. And I told him. By the way, in telling that, I had to tell him a lot of what happened to me. I don't want to just tell you about Here's the proof. Look, look at me. Look at me. I was this way. Whoop. Now I'm this way. I used to act like this. Whoop. Now I act this way. I used to go here all the time. Whoop. Now I go here all the time. Oh, no, those kinds of people I used to run with. Whoop. Now I run with these kinds of people here. And the world thinks, man, that is strange. No, that's good. Hey, you see these guys coming back to the door. Excuse me. Uh, we found something if you're interested. Hello. Somebody answer. Yeah, right over here. Yeah. Please believe me, right outside your gate, all the food and everything, you need it. You guys are, please listen to me. They didn't believe him. You read the story, they didn't believe him. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to get a couple of horses, sneak up into the camp just to see. That way only a couple of people die of starvation. They were very cautious. And when they heard it, they ran to the king. And the king said, okay, we're going to regulate this. We're not here to regulate salvation. Let whosoever will, let him come. Come on, God can handle it all. Come on. In an instant of time, a person can be saved. You went, if you're saved, you went from spiritual starvation to a place you can gorge yourself of as much of God and true life as you want to. Have you found that which satisfies your hunger and thirst? You shook your head yes. Don't say it just because it's the right answer, though it is. So what are you going to do with all those goodies God gave you? What are you going to do with that brand new life? Well, that's mine. Oh, oh, okay, let me just show you. God gave you stuff from just you and nobody else. Are you hungry for something that finally says, See this? Here's what you, you listen to me this morning. You go, man, I'm wondering about that. And the devil will shake you something. Oh, okay. No, no, preach. It's okay now. I got this job. And then the job doesn't work out. 
said, that's right, I'm a lawyer. You won't believe what happened. And he'll just keep you walking down this path, and it never works out, and it never works out, and it never, oh, and let's say you got the job, and it never worked out, and it never worked out. God is more concerned about your character than your comfort. We're more concerned about our comfort than we are our character. God wants to work on you, but it starts with salvation. You can no, can, can you no longer see nor hear people in your city, around where you live? Have you even talked to your neighbors? Hi, Harry, good to see you. Thanks for letting me use your lawnmower. That's it? The guy's dying and going to hell doing the best he knows how? You have what he needs and you just went, hi, Harry, thank you. Mary, thanks for the grocery. I'll, I'll, I'll give that back to you when I go to the store. And so I never see him. You said, preacher, I, I'm embarrassed now. I've been saved so long and I haven't talked to him. Then apologize. Apologize. My wife and I, my family, when my kids were little, we lived beside a guy for my preacher one day challenged, said, I, I'm challenging you. I want you to go home and on purpose witness to both neighbors on both sides of the family. Both sides. I said, okay. See, unlike you, I, I don't want to make the excuse. I'm going to accept the challenge, okay? That's what our preacher says I need to do. That's what I'm going to do. Amen. Trouble is, the guy we live next to, we've been there for years. I've never seen him before. Now, he knew I was a Christian. He knew I went to church. But see, those things don't save people. said, listen, I have to apologize. Apologize? What are you apologizing for? I said, well, can I, can I have a moment? Can I just have a few moments? Can I sit down there? Well, sure. What are you so afraid of? He sat down at the table, and I started telling him how I got saved and what the Bible says about it. He listened to the whole thing. I said, would you just please listen completely what I have done now and talk about it with me? through the whole thing. You know what he said? Ed, I call him Ed. We can't call him Ed anymore. He said, uh, I've been saved a long time. I know I'm not nearly what I should be, but I have been saved. And I want to thank you for coming by here today and talking to me about this for a few minutes. Uh, I, I like talking to everybody about Jesus. He said, what if he says, what if he says, that's not the point. We do not well if we hold our peace. I don't know how long we've been saved. I'm not sure there's maybe one, maybe two people that say they were never saved. It's hard. Have you ever noticed how excited I get still? This is not an act. This is the way I feel about it. It doesn't take me long to start thinking about my family. I bet that woman lived up on Cameron. By the way, she came. I, I went all with her and picked her up and brought her all the way to church. I think for about three or four hours, and then they moved. And I, I, I have found that which completely satisfies me. It's not that I'm not tempted by stuff. You say, preacher, how do you forgive people? Two things. Just getting saved, look at me very carefully, forgives you of your sins that's taken care of. 
Salvation doesn't necessarily have to make you happy. Living for Jesus will make you happy. Salvation is the forgiveness of sins. If you don't live right after that, you'd be very miserable. Christian, been there, done that. Why do you want to live that way? So this is what I do. Christian, we may constantly find ourselves sharing say there's probably some people here that haven't even talked to their own family in years. You know that whole thing, family comes above everything? Good. Go talk to them about Jesus. Well, you know how family can be. Yes, as a matter of fact, they do. I brought it up one time and my mom and family never talked to me for 15 years. They still never did. Oh, by the way, my mom eventually got saved. My sister Peggy comes here, she got saved. My sister Donna, who's in heaven now in my mother's womb, nearly three, died of cancer and a flesh-eating disease, and, and I want her to come and see me. Imagine where she'd be if I didn't say something. I don't think we're doing that enough. Church, Christian, what do you think? Are, are we doing that enough? We have all these tents, all this stuff. Stuff. I gave it to you, Georgie. 